Welcome to It's All Fine and Dangy, where we talk about community, health, culture, and all of the big and little things that make life good. Here are your hosts, Dan and Angie. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 97 of the It's All Fine and Dangy podcast. Super excited for today's show. Oh, me too. Yeah, so this is a first for us. We are actually going to have our first international guest. So how exciting is that? Yes, so we are going to welcome Jane Gooding, and she is an author of the fictional series, the Thick Blue Line, which sounds so interesting that I'm going to put it in my Amazon cart and order them today. Actually, I might do them on Kindle. Um, and so we are super excited to talk to her about her series. And we would like to welcome from Turkey, Ms. Jane Gooding. How are you today, Jane? Hi, both of you. And thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm really good, but a little bit cold. Oh, oh. how cold is it it's there? Cold here. Ooh, it's um, there's snow on the mountains. Put it that way. It's quite drafty here. Oh my goodness! So you guys are probably measured uh, temperature by Fahrenheit or by uh, Celsius. We measure by Fahrenheit. Yeah. Hold we, on. Uh oh. Prop fix. Is that, is that an edit right there? Um, but <laughs> so you guys probably measure by Celsius. We measure by Fahrenheit. I don't know what the difference is because I have staff that work in Canada, so we talk about this sometimes, but. It's probably what eighty degrees Fahrenheit here now, so you can imagine I'm the difference. Today, so I'm not quite able to do the conversion without uh, looking it up. Yeah. yeah, we we have the air conditioning on it's here. Warm. Let's put it that it's way. It's quite warm, and it might <laughs> sound nice to you, but the snow sounds really nice to me. But it's cold. I don't like the cold at all. You don't? Oh, you don't like the cold? No, but it's only for a few months. I mean, the sun <laughs> shines most of the year here. Oh, very nice. Well, that's yeah. tolerable. Yeah. Like, yeah. I could tolerate that. I'd I'll just probably stay it. indoors most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so, Jane, before we get into the discussions around your books and your career, which we're very excited to talk about, every time we do an interview with a guest, we like to start off by asking the guests just a little bit about themselves personally. So, you know, as much as you'd like to share, but we like for our guests to know a little bit about you. Okay. Um, well, I'm originally from England, from Devon, uh, Plymouth, actually. Uh, my parents were uh, Plymouth born and bred. Oh. I have uh, two sisters, or had two sisters. One sadly died at 14, oh. and um, a brother. Um, myriads of uh, nieces and nephews. Uh, a lovely, lovely family. Um, I joined the police when I was 20 in Devon, wow. Cornwall. Um, wow. I did 21 years there until um, till I took my sergeant's exam. I was a bit of a late starter with that because it wasn't that I was lazy. It's just that I was so challenged in what I was doing right. and I didn't feel that I wanted promotion. Um, but when I did, I went for it. And then I went to Sussex. I transferred to Sussex Police where I did my remaining nine years. Wow. So um, 30 years in the police force. 30 years, yes. That's wow. amazing. It's usually 30 years in England. Um, I think it may be longer now as they've put the ages up, haven't they, to retirement. But um, I was very lucky to uh, retire when I was 49. Oh, that's and, amazing. Oh, that is. Um, I'd always uh, loved Turkey. I came here first in 1985 on a holiday and fell in love with it. And so I was drawn to Turkey. I felt like my soul was here. Mm. I bought a house. And uh, much to the um, 
my mom and dad's disappointment because they thought I would be there with them. I moved mm-hmm. here on my own uh, oh, in wow. 2005 when I retired, and I've been here ever since. And I absolutely love it. I love my home. I hug my pillars almost daily. <laughs> Um, I've got a beautiful dog that I found in the bin when she was five weeks old. Oh, oh wow. a rescue. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It was 50 degrees centigrade at the time, and that's really hot. I mean, really hot. Oh, wow. Um, I thought it was a little cat. I was young enough to climb into the bin um, <laughs> until I found the bag that contained her. And oh, she's my. turned out to be um, a, a, a purebred English setter. Oh, wow. wow. She's absolutely beautiful. She's a big dog now. She's 13 and a half. She's getting old. Yeah. But, uh, she and I live here. I've got loads of beautiful friends. Uh, I love and it. Obviously in touch with my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, life's good. Yeah. So you, oh, moved, awesome. you moved there all on your own. You didn't know anybody did. there, really? No, I didn't. <laughs> wow, that's so brave. You're you're yeah. quite the adventurous. I uh, love I've that. Been an adventurous, yes. Yeah. Always. And yeah. I love that you said that when you visited Turkey, it spoke to your soul. It did. Yes, I'm very spiritual. Um, even my house. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I wanted to buy a property uh, to retire to, and. I'd been all over Turkey on gullet cruises, which were absolutely beautiful. If you ever want a lovely holiday, book a gullet cruise, which is the old fishing boats that have been uh, made into um, luxury boats. Like a a yacht or something almost. And you go all over the coast of Turkey. You see a different Turkey than most holiday makers. Oh, wow. You see the mountain goats. You see little villages that most people wouldn't ever see. And um, I... I went across Turkey looking for uh, somewhere to live, but didn't find anything that I liked. And then I went into an estate agent's and I saw a picture and I said to my friend, that's my house. Mm. So uh, I got the estate agent to take me there. Uh, He didn't actually take me to the one that I saw in the picture, but I was very aware when I did walk to the one that was in the picture that it was my house. And there was a very old man in the in the house. He was he was lovely actually, and I was a bit cocky, you know. I was a bit arrogant. I was still working, and I'm always funny. I always think everything's funny, and um, I kept winking at this Turkish guy, this old <laughs> Turkish man, every time I said something that was remotely funny, um, not realizing that you're not supposed to wink and laugh at Turkish old old Turkish oh. men. You were learn- You didn't know the culture yet there. Well, I didn't know. But, I mean, he kept winking back, so I carried on, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, and the estate agent said to me, um, do you like the house? Well, I wasn't going to tell him I was in love with it. It was my house, and I was going to have yeah. it. Of course. And I said to him, it's okay. It's okay. There's a few things that um, I don't like about it. And um, he said, well, this is the price. And I said, oh, I wouldn't be paying that for it. I wouldn't pay anything like that for it. So he asked me how much I would pay for it. And I quickly did uh, the calculations in my head. And I thought, I'll give, I'll say about half. So I came up with about half what he asked. And he said, well, thank you for just wasting my time. And I said, well, you haven't wasted, I haven't wasted your time because you've had me as company. Well, what more could you want? <laughs> and um, I sort of laughed at this Turkish guy and winked. And then I found out that this Turkish guy was actually the builder. His son was the, um, the architect. And he spoke perfect English. And he said, uh-huh. how much did she say? And he told him. And he said, please, tell her she can have the house. I want that lady 
in my house. Oh my goodness. Wow. What? Yeah. So that was that. You know, that's amazing. I loved my house. It's absolutely beautiful. People stand outside. I see them leaning on the on the wall looking at me. And I say to them, Can I help you? And they say, No, just looking at your house. It's absolutely stunning. Oh, I love that. Oh, and, I, yeah. and I knew, it sort of hugged me as I walked down the path, you know, I knew as soon as I saw the picture, this is my house, this is where I want to be, and this is the house that I have. <laughs> and it's like, and that's the thing, you put the, you put it out there yeah. in the universe, you know, and that that person that was, um, that you were winking at, he could feel that, I'm sure. Like well, I, he said that I had an aura. I think he was spiritual too, and he said, wow. I would love to think this lady was in a house that I'd built. Yeah. And that's very important to architects, you know, and builders. Like they don't want somebody that's going to come in and change a bunch of stuff in the house that they put all their sweat and tears and love into. Oh, of course. They want somebody that's going to appreciate. It's art to them. So they want somebody that's going to appreciate that. I think it's also a good example of how expressing your, just being yourself. Yes. And expressing your personality in the world. It, often gets you to a better place than than you trying to go okay yeah i'm sorry for wasting your time too or whatever uh-huh. and you know just just you, like like a lot of people would do you were yourself about it and it, i love that that's a great story so wow i'd love to see a picture of your house now too yeah you need I'll, to take us I'll, on a tour <laughs> i can send you a few pictures it really is a beautiful house oh we I mean, would I, love that it's got like an archway and it looks like the stones are just hanging on by you know willpower Sure. Wow. And um, I used to hug the pillars of it when I first bought it. I just love this house. You know, oh, I've been wow. house now 16 years. And uh, people say to me, oh, you know, when you sell your house, I've got friends that would like it. I say, you know, it's not happening. This house. <laughs> I love this house. My, my soul's in this house. How? You know, I, I mean, that's that's a, that's a, another example of just achieving your goal too. imagine just yeah. looking at a house going that's my house and that's it is it. that's that's a power of intention right there that i love it i love it oh my gosh well, well thank you for that story that was like amazing yeah you're welcome but you know i've always i've always been that sort of person really that i i i was actually i said this to dean in the week i as a as as i was in the police force i never set limitations for myself I sort of in an arrogant way I guess I sort of believed that I was capable of anything that I put my mind to and because I never set myself limitations I never reached my my limits you don't have any then yeah you don't have any you know and I've always thought the sky's the limit if you if you really want something you know and and you go for it you'll end up with it that's that's I love that. So let's talk about some of your time in the police force, because you had this great career, 30 years. But when you did come into the police force, there were some challenges that you had to face. And and this goes into the, you know, we were talking earlier before we started recording about girl power. That's my word I use, you know, (laughs) to encourage ladies and young ladies. Hey, use your girl power. Okay. Um, But really, you had to have a lot of that. Um, during the time that you entered the police force. So tell us a little bit about that, whatever you'd like to share. And how did your experiences turn into writing a series of books? Well, I'd have to take you right back to when I was a a young girl, really, to explain that to you, if you don't mind. It's a bit of a long story, but I'll cut it. I'll keep, I'll price it down as much as I can. Of course, of course. Um, 
I had beautiful parents. I mean, absolutely beautiful. My mother was like a film star to look at. She came from a very good-looking family and a very well-educated, intelligent family. And my father was equally intelligent, but he was a very quiet man. Mm. And uh, I came from a very old-fashioned family where um, my father went out and earned the money. He was a sea captain. And he would give my mum the money. And he never saw that money again. Mum paid the bills. And she ran the house. And um, she ran the children. My father didn't have any real input in, you know, looking after the children. And my mother was um, a very good cook. She was a very good mother. But she had three daughters, one after the other. So we were, by the time she was 22, she had three young children. Three oh, young wow. girls. And um, unfortunately for me, she treated us like triplets. And I never wanted to be. I wanted to be my own self, mm. even as a youngster. Um, my sisters were very girly girls. I wasn't. Um, Relatable. My mum <laughs> used to buy us dolls, you know, for presents. And I didn't like them. Partly because once I saw the sawdust inside one of the dolls' heads, and from that moment... I hated dolls and oh. mum stopped buying me dolls because I used to abuse them. I used to push <laughs> pencils through their ears. And, so this know, is very relatable. Oh my gosh. These are like stories <laughs> of food in, their, <laughs> food in their mouths and, you know, just, just generally mistreat them. Um, <laughs> I didn't like them. What I, what I wanted, I didn't want to dress like one of the, I, I say one of the Andrews sisters, because that's what I felt like. I was a set of triplets. We all wore the same dresses, yeah. the same shoes in those days, little white gloves. I absolutely hated it. I wanted to be myself mm -hmm. and, I didn't want to play with dolls. I wanted to play with magic tricks, chemistry sets. I used to take clocks to, to pieces if I was given a clock. Mum bought me an Etch-a-Sketch for Christmas. I had that in pieces before, before <laughs> lunchtime. Oh my know, I needed to know how everything worked. Oh, yeah. You know, I had this brain that says, I want to know how everything works. And so I used to destroy them, really, and then try and put them back together again, which didn't always work. Anyway... Um, Mum had very uh, stereotypical ways of, of how she thought a lady would behave, mm -hmm. and I didn't. <laughs> She's so, like, what do I do with this? <laughs> yes, I think she, I was very quiet. I was a very quiet child. I was always on my own. I was always rock climbing while the others were making nice sand castles at the beach. You know, I had quite a few, a few accidents, falling down cliffs and doing things that, you know, little girls didn't usually do. <laughs> but I was always the adventurer. And um, my mum tried to uh, uh, stop that, really. Um, I passed 11 plus, much to my mum's surprise. <laughs> and I went, I went to a girls' school. But my mother didn't believe that girls should have an education. Oh, wow. She felt that just the boys had to have an education. Wow. And I wanted to be, um, you know, I wanted to go to university. Um, I wanted to be a psychiatrist or, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, what I wanted to do is I wanted to watch body language because mm. I was always very interested in it. I could always suss out people by watching their body language. But, um, Mum took me out of school at 14 and told me I had to have a lady's job. And so she sent me to secretarial college. Well, that yeah. was that was really a square peg in a round hole, if you like. <laughs> the other way 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to say that did not work out. You, no. you taking orders from other people? No. <laughs> I was good at it. That's the thing. I was really good at it. You know, I sort of flew through the college and I, I, um, I tried to get a job or my mum tried to get me a job. She kept um, making interviews for me at building societies. Well, I couldn't think of a worse life than working <laughs> at a bank or a building society. No, no disrespect to anybody that does. But yeah, sure. of course, it wasn't for you. And so she used to um, make an interview. She used to put me in her dresses and put makeup on me, which I hated. And she used to drag me, park outside, and take me to this bank that she'd made an appointment for me to be a typist. And so I was very shy, as I said. I was quite gawky because I was over six foot in height, six foot one. And I used to go in and say to the person that um, met me for interview, look, please don't look now, but my mother's outside. <laughs> I'm sure you're a very nice place to work, but it's not for me. Would you mind hiding me away for 10 minutes? Perhaps with a cup of tea would be lovely. And um, and then I won't waste your time and you won't waste mine, but I really don't want to work here. And I used to say, sure. So, oh, wow. <laughs> and then what, did you go back out to your mom and just say, I didn't get the... Oh, you were too young. Oh, <laughs> young mum. You know they want. You know, which was a little white lie. You know, but yeah, I was, sure. You know, they wanted somebody that worked on an electric machine, and I was taught on a manual anything I could think of. And my mum used to say, oh. "But I think she cottoned on in the end because she took me <laughs> to a secretarial agency where she could sit next to me." Oh no! So, so oh, I was stuck. <laughs> so, um, so I went to work for uh, an electrical factory. And um, I worked for, a, um, first of all, I worked at a typing pool, which was supposed to be, tell me if I'm getting boring, because I'll stop. No, no, no it's interesting. The, yes. um, it was supposed to be for six days, but I was there for like 13 weeks. And mum was quite happy because I was paying my housekeeping and I was making friends and stuff like you do. And then all of a sudden it came to an end. And I'm like, oh my God, because I really didn't want to work in this bank that my mum had, you know, earmarked for me. So... I went to the electrical company that I was working with and I asked if they had any vacancies and they had one, but it was for a 35 year old secretary and I was 17. Okay. So I said, um, could I have an interview? And they said, well, I don't think you're 35. I said, no, but please can I have an interview? So they said, well, okay, but he's looking for 35 year old. Well, anyway, this this really handsome guy, he was only a youngster, actually. He was about five years older than me, I guess. He came in and he said, um, have I come to the right place? Because, you know, my, inter my interviews with a 35-year-old, I said, well, no. I said, but you're going to be really pleased with me <laughs> because I'm only 17, but I'm far more qualified than anything you've asked for. And I haven't been spoilt by anybody. I only know, I'm only going to know your way. So if I do a filing system, it's going to be the way you want it. I don't have to unlearn any bad habits. I will actually be in tune with whatever you want. And um, he's like, wow. And I talked my way into him saying to me, when can you start? So I, I love started. It. You know, it's funny, Jane, as you described yourself as shy, but the way you're talking, you that's like shy. a very assertive woman, you yeah. know, like it doesn't well, seem shy to me. Strong, but I was shy. Strong, yeah. strong, strong, but shy. Yeah. Okay, I got you. 
So here I was now, I was in this lovely, I had a lovely boss. I had a lot of responsibility because really it was for a 35 year old. So I was paying apprentices and, you know, he put me in charge of apprentices and I did a lot of work. And anyway, I was there for four years, 17, 18, yeah, about three or four years. And then one day I decided that I wanted something more. And one of the ladies, well, there were three ladies there and they all had daughters my age who were leaving, leaving school. And um, I saw an application for the police force and my mum was becoming, uh, uh, bless her, she, I know it was only for my own good, but she was becoming more and more dominant into what I, what I would be doing. That you have to leave there, you, he has to give you a pay rise. You know, there was a lot of interference. And yeah. so I wanted to... Whoosh, where can I go where I can legitimately run away? And be independent. Yes. So I opened this application book, or this this book about Devon and Cornwall Police, and there was an application in the back, and there was a loose one inside, and I thought, well, they're not going to miss the back one. I'll cut it off because they've already sent away for the application form. And on a whim, I filled it out and sent it off. And um, my mother was very angry when she realized that I put in for the police, she did not want me to join the police. And so um, I went off for my interview. I didn't have qualifications because I'd been taken out of school. I had one English O-level, one CSE, and they wanted, uh, I think it was seven O-levels and two A-levels. And I'm like... And that's like co- that's like college credits, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. that's So I beg your pardon. Yes, it is. It's, yeah. It's, it's college credits, really, and I didn't have them. So, um, But I spoke to a lady that my mother didn't want to speak to. She didn't want to let her into the house because she told her, my daughter's not joining the police force. But I said, look, you know, I'm 20, and mm-hmm. I really want to join. And so she said, well, you can take an entrance exam, and I'll see you at the headquarters. And uh, I went to headquarters on my own. I took the exam, which was, I was the only one out of 30 people that had to take it because everybody else had qualifications coming out of their ears. And, <laughs> um, and I passed it. I passed it apparently with 100%. And I wow. saying to me, unless you're rude to the superintendent that interviews you, you've got a job. And I was like, wow. Okay. So I, I was, you know, that I wasn't good enough to be in the police. And so I felt like I'd won, won the draw ticket, you know, draw, a, a lucky draw ticket. But anyway, my parents um, weren't interested when I got home. They didn't even ask how I got on at the interview. Oh. They were very anti me joining the police. Yeah. And I, I think it's because I think my mum realized that I was an adventurer and that I was going to do something pretty dangerous. Yeah. But, um, she told my father that uh, that she didn't think I'd last more than three weeks because I was so shy. And, uh, yeah, 30 years. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So, but, obviously, um, that relationship with mom has changed. Well, How does mom, she feel about that? My mom, unfortunately, passed away um, two years ago. Um, and this is why I came to, uh, you know, it's not that I'm just talking. This is why I came to write the books is that my father sadly got Alzheimer's and mm. um, my mother was marvelous with him. She nursed him for seven years. And then as soon as my father died, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Oh, my goodness. And, oh, goodness. Um, and so we had to watch as, as you know, as children, we watched well, yeah. young adults. The decline. Watched, yeah both of our parents and um you know my mum 
my mum was my idol you know as strong as she was I must get that from her but Mm -hmm. um but I had so many secrets and they never knew my work life because by the time that they were interested they both were ill so um so I decided to write the books when I was going through a grieving process after losing my my mother oh wow I put all my everything in there my heart and soul went into those books. Um, I came out because I was gay and I'd never told my parents. Oh, so that wow. was a big thing. I'd never told any of my family mem- members. Wow. It was like it was like therapy writing these, these books, well, it, wasn't it? And um, I always knew I was going to write a book. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to write three, but I wrote a trilogy because it just kept coming, you know, the, the, yeah. so much in my head and it yeah. just kept coming out and there was more and more. I mean, because I've, I, I don't mean to be rude or big headed, but I've had a very big life. It you sounds know, like I, it. My yeah. life has been full of adventure. It's been, uh, I've always had my head above the parapet mm-hmm. uh, to meet challenges and it's been a very exciting life. And as I was writing, sort of more and more memories came back floods of you know people that I'd worked with amazing people courageous people you know really dedicated people and a couple of idiots <laughs> um, but that always makes a good part of the story doesn't it the comic <laughs> relief so my books are full of all these beautiful people but they're also full of the idiots you know the idiots yeah. of course um I didn't I had to be careful because of the um uh, official Secrets Act, but I don't think anybody that was an idiot is going to come back and say, "Hey, why are you writing these things about me?" Maybe <laughs> like an idiot, and I would say, "Well, that's because you were an idiot." Nobody's going to do that, so I think I've got away with it. <laughs> well, so I have a question about that. As a so, such a great story, God, you know, amazing. leading up to what, and I, and it, and now it's very clear to me and anyone listening that the writing process for you was largely just cathartic than than maybe planning to write but um and i know you've been very successful with these books and we're going to get into that too but did you prior to this like did you want to write or did you just think of this as a way of mourning and uh, you know your the loss of your mom what w- did you have a desire to write before that ever or was it just born from that no i never had no and I, I well i say no i know i used to you know uh, laugh with my friends here because they weren't police. And so I was a bit of a, an anomaly, really. Mm-hmm. And people used to say, oh, you know, what's the funniest thing that ever happened to you? And I used to tell them stories. And they used to say to me, God, you should be, you should write a book, Jane. You're so funny. Um, and my books are funny. They are yeah. funny, but they're also sad. They're sort of roller coaster books, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I know people say to me, they've been on a bus um, here, um, uh, a dolmush we call them but but it's a bus and they said that they've they've been so engrossed in the book and they've suddenly started laughing out loud and then they <laughs> realized that they're on a bus and everybody's looking at them and it's like sorry sorry I'm crazy <laughs> and then i've had people say to me that the books have made them cry you know it is a real roller coaster of emotional you know uh, events just like it was in real life actually i was going to say but being in the police force yeah. there is that such a range of emotions that oh, you yeah. go through from you know the time when you save somebody's life to you might have to take a life or you know you've seen something horrible happen to a child or there's just so many different yeah. levels of it and and police officers have to keep their composure through it all so i can't even imagine trying to 
you know, not stay stagnant, but, you know, you have to kind of look like the one that is in charge, keeping calm and not being able to really express the emotion in that moment. So you've put that into the book, which is really cool. You're absolutely right. And the trouble is you could just join the police. And as soon as you put on that uniform, somehow people look at you and think that you are this person that knows all the answers. Of course. Yeah. And of course you don't because you're yeah. quit learning. And I'll tell you a very quick story how how I, you know, I realized I was shy and that I couldn't I couldn't uh, go forward being as shy as I was. And so I used to give myself exercises to do, you know, like a baptism by fire, because I was petrified mm. when the car radio went off. You know, I had an older an older woman that used to tutor me for 10 weeks and she'd say, I'm answer answer the radio it's like you know I can't because I was you know I was wow so my sergeant when we had equality which they kindly gave us I think it was 1979 bless their cotton socks I told them (laughs) there would never be equality and they said don't you think I said no you're you're never going to be equal to me my sergeant um who there was a there was a, a totally there was two different ways of thinking about having women as equals in the police force mm-hmm. in 1979. Some of the men were absolutely happy that we were there because they felt that there was a void, there was a need for women to get involved in you know the the, the same as as they did. Yeah, but there was a lot of resentment from some of the wives that would be working with their men during the night times you know yeah of course um, yeah we went from two-thirds pay to full pay because we were now um, equal viewed as equal as i say bless their cotton socks <laughs> and, um, and so um some of the guys resented that because they felt that this was a man's world and we mm-hmm. had a very small part to play in it and so if we wanted to be equal okay you can pull that body out of the river because you're equal now or you can walk on your own all night because you're equal, but we're going to drive around all night. Just, just you that's going to walk. Okay. Um, yeah. and, so, and so that's what we had sometimes, not all the girls. We were actually, my era was sort of pioneers for the women that have come along today. Mm. And um, I remember one night, my sergeant, who was one of the ones that felt that, okay, you want to be equal out should go and walk all night he said to me it was christmas eve and he said to me go out to this club everybody's parked on double yellow lines outside and i want you to put tickets on all of them well i was walking along and i thought how mean is that really it's christmas eve you know my parents weren't well off you know yeah they worked hard they were you know they were hard-working people but they weren't well off and I thought to hit people with a with a fine at Christmas is horrible yeah it's like he was setting you up for that though right possibly possibly yeah. he'll be long dead now so he won't ever come back right <laughs> yeah I mean if it just from an outsider's perspective it yeah, sounds like yeah. he was setting you up for yeah. being the bad guy and and being in a bunch of conflict yes. But anyway, I went to this 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 thing. I could hear the music playing inside this hall, and um, and I thought, you know, I can't I can't do this. It's horrible. I feel right. like a devil. Mm-hmm. So 
I thought this is a good this is a good way for me to come out of my little shell. So I walked up the stairs and I can remember it was right up the steep, steep steps into this dance hall. And it was very obviously it was in the 70s. There was this big globe going around lighting up the place. And Disco, a real, baby. <laughs> a real band. There was a band playing. Yeah. And I and it was all dark and everybody was dancing. And I could see they were all dressed up, you know, in their best. And I got up on the stage. Oh and I wow! Up the microphone, and then I thought, oh, I'm stuck now. Oh, <laughs> you have to do something. <laughs> the lights went on, and there I am standing there, and I'm like, "Hello." <laughs> so I said to them, "Hello," and everybody's like, you know, looking at me, is like, "Where did she come from?" I said, "Hi." I said, "Look, my sergeant has told me to come put tickets on all the cars that are parked outside, but it's Christmas, so." I've got one ticket here, and the last person to move their car gets it. So, oh, how brilliant. Oh. That is brilliant. Everybody <laughs> left the hall. And all these cars, there was about 40 of them. You know, they left their wives. They're just going to move the car, darling, and off uh -huh. they went. Anyway, I didn't give the last one to anybody because, you know, I just tucked it back in my pocket, and, <laughs> and I walked back to the station, and all the cars were gone. And the sergeant said to me, I thought I told you to put tickets because he thought it was going to be like an all night job or till they all left uh -huh. until the party ended. He said, "I thought I told you to put, I told you to put tickets on all the cars that were there." I said, "They're all gone, Sarge." Said, what? <laughs> he said, "Get in the panda and I'll and and show me." Well, I I wasn't allowed to drive. He had to drive because the men wouldn't let you drive. And so um, so he drove down and it was like, what what happened? Where did they all go? I don't know. He said, what did you do? And I said, oh, I can't tell you that. I couldn't tell you my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. You know, and that was that. But I um, learned something. Yeah. I learned that, you know, if you stand there and make yourself do things, you don't have to be the enemy, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could make stuff. It's not that I wanted to be popular. I just didn't want to be unfair to people. You know? Right. And we and really I, need more of that in the police forces. Yeah. You know, that's amazing. You weren't on this power trip to, you know, well, I'm the I'm the police. I'm going to tell you what to do, basically. Yeah. Or yeah. you were there to really be a positive force in the community, I, I, which I, I love. I hope I, I like to think that I was. I don't think I ever was that person that, you know. If I, you know, I never said to anybody when I was off duty, look, I'm police, because yeah. I always thought to myself, if I'm not strong enough to be a person in my own right, then I don't deserve to wear the uniform. So yeah. I never called on my job. I, you know, if somebody used to, when I was on holiday, I always used to tell them I was a secretary because you know, I had experience of being a secretary. Uh -huh. so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, I have a I have a question for you about that, Jane, not to interrupt, but, um, you know, just to rewind a bit, we talked about, um, you know, the, Angie mentioned sort of the balance of being a police officer and having to deal with trauma and, uh, you know, having to keep all that balanced. But I'm just curious because you were in the force at a pivotal time when the balance of of, you know, uh, men and women working in the police department was off and you were part of, I would say, part of the process of that, you know, mm -hmm. of true equality coming across the board there. But when you first started, were there a lot of other women in the police force? Because I think about the, you know, there's a, I have friends that are police and I know there's a certain level of camaraderie in a way that you deal with the trauma by having the time back in the station to talk to each other and that, that, uh, 
blow the blow steam off in a way that only police can understand because they've all been part of it. You couldn't have this conversation with your family or your friends. And I wonder if there was such uh, you know divide and equality and so much resentment it seems from some of the men that wouldn't let you drive and would you know in my mind like a sergeant that would put you in a position where you have to go do these things. Were there other women or even other men that were on board that you could vent to and you guys could all still have that camaraderie? Mm. Or was it hard to find back then? Well, you asked me a lot of questions there, actually. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, when I look back at the police force, I think there was 3,700 uh, police officers and I think 32 of them were women. Oh, my goodness. Wow. In those days. so But we all know each other, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. When there was equality... Beforehand, we used to work in a policeman's department and they used to call us the knitting circle. We were allowed out. We could go, you know, if they needed a woman because they had a woman prisoner, we were called. But we didn't deal with regular stuff. We didn't deal with road traffic accidents or anything like that. You know, I can remember walking into town and coming across an accident where a poor woman died. And I had to call for a male officer to come down and deal with the accident because I wasn't allowed to. Wow. Um, but not everybody was anti-women joining there were some yeah. supermen i mean i had really lovely friends Good, male yeah. friends in the police as a youngster every section in the police were given a token woman and on that section of say about 20 officers i would say probably five of them wouldn't want you there they would tell you how much you know, I don't want to have to go out and look after you. Now I've got to not just look after myself. I've got to babysit you as well. I've got to look after well, you. And that was the mentality that a woman is frail yeah. and you have to protect her. That's how they were, men were raised. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, I was six foot one. I was Aikido trained. I learned Aikido very well. I could look after myself, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't need a five foot seven guy that, walked, <laughs> you know, made me walk on the road while he walked up on the pavement and, you know, hope so he could look walk. taller. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when you say, um, I don't want to have to look after you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be some, you know, I used to be very careful at times later in my service that when, because, because there were height restrictions when I joined, but obviously they didn't apply to me because I was obviously tall enough. Yeah. But for the men, it was five foot seven. I think for the women, it was five foot four. And they were changed when um, people came back from um, the army in, you know, fighting. And they weren't allowed into the police force because they were deemed too short. So they had to make it so that there were no height restrictions. But it wasn't something that bothered me. But I was yeah. very aware that when there were shorter men than me, I had to sit when I talked to them because when I stood up, I was intimidating. And, mm -hmm. and I learned that very, very early on, that if I didn't want to intimidate somebody, just keep sitting down. <laughs> wow. If I did want to intimidate them, I would most surely stand, stand up. up. <laughs> yes, of course. But, yes, um, yes. You know, please don't think that everybody was anti-women because they weren't. Oh, no, I, I don't. Had, yeah, yeah. I had some, I mean, I had a whole set of guys that if I was in tr trouble, they would come out before I, you know, before I could say Jack Robinson, really. Yeah. And they used to spoil me. You know, when I was walking, if the sergeant put me out in the cold, they used to come and pick me up and let me get warm in the car in the back of the car for 10 minutes. You know, yeah. I used to wear a cape in those days because it was freezing. I used to pick up a stray cat 
put it under my cape, keep warm, keep warm, and then I and then I drop it off where I found it. Oh, <laughs> keeping each other warm. You know, it oh, was the old God. days. It was very, you know, very old fashioned when I look wow. back on it. But you know, we, uh, I think the women that were in the force then were most of them very strong women. The ones that weren't, when we had equality, quite a few of them left. Yeah. yeah, the strong ones stayed behind, and you know I have the greatest respect for the other women because I think we were all quite strong characters. Yeah, and we, you had to deal with things that cropped up in a way that didn't offend people. It didn't alienate you from the guys. You right. didn't go telling tales because yeah. if you told tales, who are you going to tell? Another man. Yeah, there weren't many women in high places. Yeah, and you know, and they, and 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 so, so if a guy, I don't know, just say like, if they on on the odd occasions that they used to pull into a cemetery, and switch the lights off, and you'd feel this hand come around your shoulder, it's like, what are you doing? You know, but you never reported it. You deal with it yourself because you couldn't tell tales. Yeah, yeah. And for example, um, I'll tell you a very quick story. We went out, there was um, a missing woman um, that, that actually made big news, well, you mm. know, nationwide news. Yeah. And um, we, I was one of the few women that went out looking for her across, across Devon. And um, so I was with about 200 men and they had this big tea urn and all these teacups. And um, I had some lovely guys with me, mind from my section. But my my sergeant let me go because I had um, I bit a bloke's testicles in a fight, and um, I hate to say that word. But from that uh, moment, you were I famous. Never looked back. I never looked yeah. back. The guys used to walk past and you know put their hands over their bits, and um, <laughs> you know I love but it. But I'd sort of earned, I don't I don't my stripes if you like. Yes, from, that's from what that I meant moment. by you're famous. Yeah. Um, wow. So I used to get to go where most girls didn't get to go, you know, because they knew you could take care of yourself. Yeah, that's what the sergeant said. So, so I went out with all these guys, and we were looking for this woman for for you know for for a few weeks, and um, they had this big tearn and all these guys, and about twenty of them said, "Right, come on, go and make the tea," and I said, "Why me? I'm I'm not here to make the tea. You make the tea." No, you're the woman. Women should be, you're here to be used and abused. Go make the tea. But it was all in, you know, all in good fun. Oh, okay. Okay. I have to, I have to make this so that they're never going to ask me again. Right. So I went to the tea. coming. So I went to the tea, yeah. Well, right next to the tea was the washing up facilities and there was a bottle of, you know, washing up liquids. So I went with all the cups. I went, put my finger with a soap around each of the cups, except mine, of course. And I carried this tray dutifully over to the guys. And I took mine that was untouched. <laughs> and they all started they all started to drink it. Of course, they realized instantly that there was soap all around the top of their mugs. And um they ran after me and they chased me through this field. It was hilarious actually, because I was like a little rabbit then. I I could run. You know, I was very thin. I ran for my life. They caught me and they they carried me back over the top of their heads, right? But it was all it was all fun, you know. It was it yeah. was yeah. clean fun. Apart from the fact that we were looking for this this poor woman, you know. Yeah. But, you know, you have to throw a bit of fun into it. Of course you Keep have your to. sanity. Mm-hmm. But, I kept friends with all those guys, but they never asked me to make the tea again, and they never expected me to. I'd take my turn, like everybody else. But uh-huh. I said to them, you know, you can't, because I'm female, expect me to do 
those jobs because I won't do it. Yeah. yeah. You'll get yeah. But if we all want to take turns doing it, that's fair. That's fair. You know? there, there's that equality. That, that's right. I love but, it. That's right. That's but right. To, yeah. that's, there's a great story, Jane. So Thank you for sharing those oh with us. Oh, my gosh. I, so I want to bring I it back to the book for a minute because, I, you know, we could talk about the writing process and all that kind of stuff. But what I really wanted to ask you was... You know, you, I know that your books, the Thick Blue Line series has been very successful. You've got a huge following mm -hmm. from it to the point to where you even have like fans demanding another book almost. And we'll talk about that, too, with your new novel coming out. But the the and I don't want to ruin the punchline, but the fact that you've gone from those challenges when you join the force to your books now being recommended reading for people that are joining the force, that has yeah. to be incredibly gratifying for you. Uh well, uh, to be honest, I've I've had quite a few women say to me, you know, I'm a new constable in uh, uh, Norfolk or Lancashire, and we've been advised to read your books because it shows how far we've come. Yes, I've also um, joined um, my mild force. Somebody, uh, I got in touch with somebody that I work with as I was writing my my books. They came into my mind and I thought well, I wonder if they're on Facebook and they said to me you know you need to come in people have always wondered where did you go because I sort of just went off to Turkey you just moved yeah so I met all these beautiful people you know that I'd worked with when I was a youngster uh, sadly quite a few of them have gone but but there are still some that, that I knew very well and um, and then the scariest thing happened one of my sergeants that I you know that I held high high up said to me Jane I've just read your books and I'm like oh, oh no because, <laughs> now, because I've come out in my books and none of them knew in the force I kept oh, yeah. my mm -hmm. private life very private you know my family reading my family's like mm. you know but you know I felt that that's what I had to do I had to have of course a, for I, you yeah the things I wanted to tell my mother really yeah she, yeah you know. and um and so the sergeant said to me I've just read your book Jane and like wow you took me right back, you know, to when when I knew you, you know, the the year the seventies. It was like wow, I felt like I was taken back in time. It was, but you've got such a memory. And I said, well, I have. He said, I loved them. Well, because I was like really worried that you know, yeah. yeah, one thing for strangers to read your books, but when your peers read them, yeah, that's pretty scary stuff. Yeah, of course. And, um, and now I'm getting used to peers saying to me, Jane, I've read all your books. It's like, I love them. When's the next one coming out? You know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. I, I was really. That really is, that is amazing. And really yeah. that response to those through that series, that trilogy is leading, has led to your next book coming out, The Climb, correct? Yeah. It has, yes. Because yeah. um, people said to me, um, I, I had strangers from all over the world, really, even like New Zealand and Australia. They were saying to me, um, I love Lucy. I love Lucy. Can you do Can you do a web page for fan, Lucy fans? I said, I think I love Lucy's already been done by somebody. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, um, because that's that's my the, the name of the person, you know. The, the yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but other people said to me, look, you can't leave it there. You can't just stop there. What's happened to her? And yeah, because so, they fell in love with that character. You, It's like yeah. when you, you fall in love with a character, you don't ever want the books to end. Yeah. I think of like reading Nancy Drew books and I, what are the other like babysitters club, like these books when I was younger, 
that you just keep wanting that adventure of that yeah. character to keep going and going Even, forever. Yeah, I agree. Even as an adult, you know, there's characters that you at least you want to know what where their life, you know, where they settled in for the rest of their life. Kind yeah, of thing. you have to have closure in your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like watching a TV series, you know, and it comes yeah. down and you you feel really like something's lacking in your life because you can't carry on watching it, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no closure. And, and, yeah, that, that's right. And and by the way, my books would make a fantastic TV series, even if I have to say it myself. It because, sounds yeah. like it. It yeah. really does. You know, they have momentum and they have, you know, they have lots of different stories. I shouldn't say it, but that's what it I'm sounds like. It sounds like, you know, it's funny because I've, I've taken my shot at writing a screenplay recently and I'm not, don't normally do that, but the um, TV show, writing for a TV show and writing for a movie, very different things. I've done so much research recently, but that sort of episodic, you know, it's a linear story, but there's episodic chunks out of it. Just from what I've read about your books and the conversations that we're having, it seems like a really good fit for episodic stories within the bigger story. So I would agree with you, having not even read the books yet. And you never know who's listening. So you never know. That's true. You never know. But <laughs> so I also had um, men and women say to me, um, you're not going to kill her, are you? In book three. Because if you kill her. I'm not buying the third book. You have to tell me. You promised me you won't kill her. And I thought, no, I'm not going to kill her. It's me. You know, it's yeah. me, people. You know, but, but, you know, and people say to me, oh, my God, it's so you, because that's what you say. I, I can tell just by reading it, that's so what you would do. That's your turn of phrase, because you can't help it. Yeah, and of course. People say to me, when I read it, I see you in that part anyway, because I know it's you. Wow. You can't make out it's fictional. We know it's you. <laughs> so I, have so, a question. Yeah. I have a question about that fictional piece of it because, you know, you said you've had colleagues read it or, you you know, you're like wondering, you know, you mentioned early on about the idiots and maybe they don't care because maybe they're not reading it. But, you know, having, again, written, and I know you do that little thing at the beginning of all of our books we have to put that say characters are fictional and any, any uh, likeness, coincidence, yeah. likeness, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, did you have to change the names of everybody in the book that was really referring to someone in your life? Well, I've been a little bit crafty because what I've done is because I was in two police forces. Yeah. I can change over which police force it happened in as well as change the names. Oh, nice. So Sorry. that so that those in one force won't know that I'm writing about their force. They'll think I'm writing about <laughs> yeah. <that>. And <laughs> just in, in the interest of protecting you here, let's also say that. I think every author, myself included, does that where sometimes characters are part of one person and part of another person merged into one person. So one character, yeah. So you're not really, you know, in case everyone anyone ever comes forward and says, I know this is about me and you know, you're in big trouble or something. Yeah. I, well, I, all authors take experience through you, you have know, to. people they've have to. seen walking down the street or a character, you know, a or, character uh characteristic of somebody sitting on a plane or someone you know, you knew, yeah you're always taking experiences from your real life and kind of mer- making a character out of those experiences the actual person. right yeah mm. i just wonder though because i figure when your colleagues read it they probably knew who these characters are influenced by let's say uh whether they knew it was them or not i don't know um somebody did recognize themselves oh did they, they? Said, oh, yeah, yeah. And they said, I forgot you did that for me, Jane. Oh, really oh that's a good so one. Yeah, I forgot you did that for me because I did do what I said, but I changed their names. 
Yeah. And they said that was me. And then and I forgot I always I forgot until now. Till I read your book and I thought, yeah, she did that for me too. Oh, oh you do have an amazing amazing. memory. You know, I envy you for that because when you're telling the story of even walking into the club and getting up on the stage, I'm thinking just the way you describe it, you describe it as if it happened last week and you really remember the details or getting the cat to stay warm. That's amazing. That is a, that is a good good memory. Yeah. I I have to tell you that I've, I've got a photographic memory, um, which has been such a boon for my job. Sure. Um, I can, I know um, a superintendent once said to me, you know, he would say to me, do you know such and such? Do you know this person? I'd say, yes. Do you know what his wife's name's called, what his wife's name is? And I'd say, yes. Do they have any children? Yes. They got two sons. Would you know their names? Um, And I'd, and he, and he said to me, you are the closest thing to a walking computer that I've ever met. Well, that's got to be, you know, you just sort of go through your brain and then you say, yeah, "Yeah, Daniel and Joe. And one's nine and one's 11. Wow. Amazing. Well, that would be a, that would be a benefit in any career, but you know, it's funny because being an author to write the stories, but also being in the police force that having that ability to remember what you saw or what a suspect looked like, that's, that had to come in to play there as well. Can I tell you another quick story? Of course. Where I live now, behind me, was a block is a block of uh, flats that they put up after I bought my house, and um, I was out putting my washing up, and there was a lady on the balcony of one of the flats who was English smoking, and she said hi, and I looked up and I said hi, and she said, uh, "Are you new here?" And I said, "Yes, I I am," but I know you, and she said, "No, you don't know me." I said, "I do." And she said, no, you don't. I've been here 20 years. And I said, but I do know you. Um, She said, where from? I said, I don't know, but I know you. But next time I see you, I'll tell you where I know you from. And I went indoors and she said, okay, but I know you don't. (laughs) Anyway, I went indoors. And the next time I was out in my garden, she was out smoking. And uh, she said to me, well, did you work out where, where you knew me from? And I said, I did. You were at Devizes in Wiltshire on a driving course in September 1976, the same time that I was there. You weren't in my force. You were with all these other people, you know, lots of other, there was lots of men and women, but that's where I know you from. I said, but I don't know which force you were from, but you weren't from my force. She said, oh my God, I was. How do you know that? Because I recognized her. And all I have to do, it was the same with my exams, my police exams. If I'd read the stuff, all I had to do was just breathe when I took my exams and say to myself, look, I've read it. It's in my head somewhere. I just need to pull it out. And that's how I passed all my exams. Wow. That's, you're quite extraordinary. That's pretty amazing. Wow. I've always been able to dream. Uh, dreams. I can read books in my dreams if I'm studying for my exams. And if I don't understand it, I get up and go to the real book downstairs, look at it, go back to sleep and redream it, dream it so that I've got it in my head. Wow. wow. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. holy moly. Yeah. That is <laughs> so impressive. I, I, I didn't have to do research for my books. It just was, was there. Just there. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. So when does um, the climb launch or when, when is your release climb date? has just been released this week. Oh, oh it was. Oh, how yes. great. I just had a look actually just before I joined you and I see that the, um, the paperback's already on Amazon. 
Awesome, awesome. Uh, so um, the the ebook will be following shortly. So it's the, it's way too new to have gotten really any feedback yet. Yeah, I don't. I yeah, it's just. I mean, I I think it's the first day it's been on there. Actually, today I was excited to see it because, um, because Jill, you know, Jill uh, Dean's wife actually did the cover, and I absolutely love it. Oh, I'm excited to go check that out. So we're going to put that up. Uh, Once we find it, I'll put it up on the video here. For those of you watching on YouTube, it should come up on screen right now. So that'll be cool cool to see. Oh, my gosh. So excited for you. Thank you. But it's actually it's actually a book that wasn't being planned. It was it, it was actually written because of people saying you can't leave it there. Yeah. So it details what happened to Lucy when she retired. And so know, it's going to give them some closure. It'll give them some closure, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> so I, I don't want to give anything away about the book, but you have retired in Turkey. Is there any chance that the climb has similarities there? No. No. When you say similarities, what do you mean? I mean, similarity. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Does it follow my own life? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that she, though. She, you know, Lucy's still having adventures and yeah. fighting battles, you know. So yeah, she she doesn't change, but you know, but there's there's excitement in the book. There's lots yeah. of awesome. things that she wasn't prepared for, you know. It's yeah, it's part it. of the journey, baby. Yeah, I love yeah, it. That's right. And that's what I say. Journey. You know, it's the rich tapestry of life, the I ups know. and downs of life. You know, the great peaks and the and the sad disappointments. But yeah, that's what it's about. That's amazing. We wish you much success. It's been great talking to you. I do want to ask you one more thing, though. And I don't know. And so for those of you listening, by the way, as you've heard Jane refer to uh, Dean, that's a mutual friend of ours. uh, And that's kind of how we got connected with each other. Um, But I'm hearing that you might also be working on a series of fictional detective books with a psychic twist. Yeah. Oh my gosh, and that, that sounds... is right up my alley. Yeah. That is that is more up my alley for sure. Well, Can you tell us anything more about that, or is it too new? Um, well, you know, I've put my mind to it already this week, and I think I have a really good plot that's going to even when I even when I think about it, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Oh so, wow! Um, oh cool! It's going to be a really fictional thing. It's about. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's about um, a, a detective sergeant who has these psychic powers, right? Um, which she 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 speaks. I've actually I've actually got a name. I just wrote down last night. I'm going to call it Lost Spirits Found Souls. Oh, I like oh, it. Oh, I do too. Um, so she speaks she, to the dead. She speaks to ghosts. Yes. Yeah, so okay. Cool. Oh. Um, she attracts spirits and, you know, she's sometimes too busy to help, but she, 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 she ends up helping. Um, she's got a, um, her, uh, antagonist will be her, her boss who doesn't believe in spiritual things. Um, but takes the credit every time she solves his big cases. Okay. Oh, that's big very cases. well, that's a, that's a very well done <laughs> love sort it. of, love uh, it. You know, so, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that you're going to love to hate. Uh huh. Um, so she's, she's going to be exciting. You know, it's going to be an exciting book. I'm hoping, but, yeah. um, but that one's in, in the pipeline. For, for that is awesome. That is awesome. So with all your adventures, it seems like this is kind of your niche, writing books. Is this what you see doing for the rest of your retirement? Um, no, because I'm quite busy doing other things too. Yeah. What kind it's of things? Just- 
what kind of things do you do for fun? Like just out and about when it's not so cold and when you can actually, when you're not on lockdown, like you guys are yeah, right now. Lockdown's really curtailed my, my, because I've, you know, I've got beautiful friends here. Like, you know, like if I was in England, I would pick these people as friends, you know, it's oh, great. because we're all, yeah. I have got amazing, amazing friends here. And, um, so yeah, I'm a lady of leisure really, but I'm but I keep busy, you know, at my my house, my garden, I've got fruit trees, I've got olive trees. Oh, this sounds like heaven to us. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> I, well, I've got I, I usually have olive picking parties. Oh, so fun. I've got so many um I've only got two trees, but they give me like 50 kilos of olives. Oh, wow. And so what I what I usually do, and I didn't do it this year because of lockdown you know, lockdown ruined it really. But what I usually do is um, I invite all my friends, only the women, the men have to cook. They have to sell. Oh, food. I love this. I, I love it. <laughs> I do. I do Turkish foods. We put the tables out. We all have a sort of like a, a, a meet up and a gossip and we all pick olives and make each other laugh. And then we go off in our cars into the village. We take our, our olives and we squish them into it, get them squished by the guy into olive oil. Oh, that sounds amazing. And then everybody gets their little bottle of olive oil to take home. And it's a lovely, memorable day. You know? I love it. And, this and, sounds and like the kind of thing that we would pay for. This sounds like yeah. a, a, a thing we would pay to go do. Yeah. Well, I have people that say to me, don't leave me off your list, will you? Make sure I catch you. <laughs> you know, because it's turned out to be cooked quite a thing over the years you know don't leave me off your olive picking list but um yeah it's lovely because here they have i'll just tell you quickly you don't pay for olive oil what you do is um you pick your olives you take them to the uh the this uh communal wow place where they squish them into olive oil and uh say you have like 50 kilos every for every 11 kilos They'll give you one liter, but it actually takes six kilos. So they're so keeping they, some. That's kind of how they fine. make their business. Yeah. And that's how they run their business. So no money changes hands. You go there, you Trade. go there with all your old yeah. containers. You know, you washed out containers and they fill them up, Coca-Cola bottles, whatever you've got. That is amazing. And uh, you get, you know, but over the years, as the guys got to know me, I've realized that it's gone from me having to have 11 kilos per liter to now it's down to seven. So, oh, you're getting the deal. Uh, he's getting used to me and he knows I'm, I'm cottoning on, you know, you used to make it 11. <laughs> he you know, he oh, I love that. Anything. It sounds like you have a wonderful life there. Jane. It really does. I'm very happy, you know. I miss my mum and dad, of course. Yeah. But um, I've still got my brother and my older sister, and you know, and my niece, who's absolutely beautiful. That's amazing. Daughter. I have a, you know, I have a just a, not a lot of friends, but the ones I've got are real quality. I've got real quality friends. Well, quality over quantity is the most yeah. important, isn't That's it? That's how I like it, to be honest. Yeah. I've got beautiful friends. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. I was so nervous. Oh, we love to hear that. We have, we have too. This has been great. Well, maybe we will plan a trip to Turkey in our future because we are adventurers as well. (laughs) That would be fantastic. And maybe we can um, pop in and say hello. You could see my house. Oh my gosh. And hug the pillars. I would love that. I'll send you a picture of. Oh, please do. Yes, please do. We would love to see it. You know, I loved it so much. Yeah. 
It's been lovely to speak to you. It, it really you has. Too, Jane. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, your life is so interesting, just past That's and so present. Amazing. And we I wish you continued success. <laughs> Say again? I said, I hope I haven't made your ears bleed because I. Oh, no. Oh, no, no we, not at all. We could probably do the podcast for three or four hours straight, but sure. people listen about an hour. Yeah. So <laughs> that's why we cut it down because we could talk forever. We literally. could for sure. And uh, we, we, we wish you continued success. I know you're going to have so continued much. success in your life. And Thank for you. those of you listening and watching, we're going to put links in the show notes like we always do. So you can find out where to get all of Jane's books and how you can keep track of what she's got going on. That's right. And I will be ordering all the books because I, I already can tell that I'm, how I am with my series that because I like series as well. Yeah, like I like a, tr a good trilogy. I'll devour them very yeah. quickly. So I'll have to have them all lined up so I can just go go go. It's really lovely of you to to have me here. Thank you so much for letting me come on and talk. Thank you so much once again, so and you it. you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. Thank all you, right. Jane. Bye bye now. Good night. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, guys. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Wow. I am just blown away by that interview with Jane Gooding. So great. I'm ready to take a trip to Turkey. I'm not even uh, lying. I am too. Like I've got to go meet her in person. Yes. Indeed. I mean, she just seems like just a super, like a real life wonder woman to me. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, I agree. So, oh, thank you so much, Jane, for being on the show. Yes. Thank you. And there was so much more we could have gotten into, you know, but we uh, could have been four hours talking to her. Yeah. And I know that she has, you know, I know just from talking to our mutual friend, Dean, that, you know, she has uh, been a part of some, some major headlines. She mentioned one of them, but she's been in, uh, involved in like headline crimes, you know, yeah, as a police as officer, a police just officer. a lot of really intense experiences, Ooh. you know? Yeah. So putting that in a book, I mean, you just yeah. really want to read it, you uh, know? Yeah. So I, as soon as the show is done, I'm going and ordering the books. Yes. And, and true I will story. Be I just crawled for a while. I'm sure. I just had to interrupt Angie from ordering. She's in the middle of ordering the books so we could yeah. wrap up the yeah, show. So we have to wrap up. So I've got to go order the book now. And then we are actually recording on Valentine's day. So happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. A day late. Yeah. But anyway, um, today's oh, my, true. well, today my my youngest son, Logan, is coming over yep. and he gets his special dinner. So something I do for my kids every year is let, now that they're, well, I've done it since they've been little, but um, I've always let them pick whatever they want for dinner. Yep. No you matter let, you what You let all it of is. us do that now. Yes. And it's homemade. You know, everything's from scratch. And so this year he picked a seafood smorgasbord. Um, and yes, he was actually born on Valentine's Day. So he is a Valentine's Day baby. Yep. Um, he chose king crab legs and he wants scallops and shrimp. And I'm doing those little um, biscuits like they do at Red Lobster for like a side. So basically when it's Logan's birthday, it's kind of like my birthday. It is kind of like <laughs> whoever comes, it's kind of like their birthday too because they get... Um, but he did say for a side he wanted green bean casserole, and I had to talk him out of that one. I'm like, that doesn't really go with, with the seafood. seafood. Well, let's do like asparagus or something. So we're doing that, and then strawberry shortcake, homemade strawberry shortcake. Oh, or... sounds amazing. So it's going to be an amazing dinner. So happy birthday to my baby boy. He is 22 this year. 
Yes. Happy birthday, Logan. Wow. Happy birthday, Logan Sanders. But anyway, what a great show. Guys, we appreciate each and every time you tune in and um, in helping to make our podcast a success. Uh, we could not do it without listeners or people watching our YouTube videos or checking in on us on our social media. So thank you so much for that. And, you know, if you ever have a um, idea for the show, what, where can they reach us? Daniel well, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked, actually. <laughs> you can call us at 407-490-3899 if you have an idea for the show, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show. And actually, that's how we found Jane. It came in as a recommendation. Ah, so our first amazing. international guest. But yeah, you can also reach out to us at feedback at fineanddange.com. That's D-A-N-J-E-E.com. You can also find us on all of our social media at Fine and Dangy. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that. And um, guys, please give us a rating and a review if you like the show. And make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can see what's going on each and every week. Shows come out every Monday. And we hope that we're bringing some great quality interviews to you and um, letting you know what's going on in the community. We did mention the, um, the paint out last week. Yes. And I did want to mention where we went last night. Well, mention it. I'm going to. So um, Dan for Valentine's Day actually took me to the Wayne Dench Performing Arts Center down in Sanford, Florida. And we went to this really cool thing that they do for ind independent um, film makers. Yeah. Filmmakers. Yeah, is it's that called Love Your Shorts. Yeah, yeah. Love Your Shorts. And um, there's different um, genres. And we were for the comedy genre. Yep. And they showed like nine short films, literally mm -hmm. nine, you know, short films by independent filmmakers. And then at the end, you get to vote for who was the, the best, yeah. the winner. There was some hilarious ones. I'm oh, not going to lie. Really were, really were. And I love that they do. You could go there all day late into the evening. They have it's an hour and change block for comedy. They have uh, sci-fi and horror. They have yeah. drama. So we went for the comedy one. Yeah. And the, the center down there is beautiful. Um, downtown Sanford is a really happening place now. And yep. I mean, it's just amazing. Amazing food down there. Amazing little bars. It's becoming really like a craft beer capital. Yes. Like we're used to in North Carolina. Indeed. So super excited to start kind of making Sanford a part of our adventures on the weekend. We are. And the uh, the Wayne Dinch Performing Arts Center, they were practicing social distancing. Everybody's wearing a mask. Yes. You know, they got people sitting far apart from each other. And I love that we're finding a way to go do things and be as safe as we can. But, you know, not necessarily having to just be stuck at yeah. home. So uh, we really uh, appreciate everybody's that. practicing it now. Yeah. So it's it's easier to be able to go out and about because everybody is practicing this being as safe as being possible. Being as safe as possible. Which yes. I love. So that was yeah. really enjoyable. And I agree, it Angie. Uh, Sanford's yeah. becoming a hotspot. I can't wait to get back yeah. out there when the world gets back to normal. We also want to ask you to remember, as we do every week, what are you doing to help the people in your community if you, you know, have funds to help with your local charitable organizations? Mm -hmm. Please do that. If you don't, just you know, do anything you can. If you can donate some of your time, if you're limited on both, just consider throughout your day what you can do to help other people just around you to make their lives better. Yeah, and even just word of mouth. Like if you you know go to a really good local restaurant or hear of a small nonprofit, word of mouth does a whole lot for somebody. That's free marketing, free advertisement. Make sure you're talking about those that are doing good in your community because that is a wonderful way to just 
spread goodness. It really is. And you know, it's perpetual. People will help you, you help people. That's right, guys. And remember, at the end of each and every day, it's, it's all fine and dandy. Oh, a must. You can. I'm not talking into the microphone. That has got Hi. to be on the outtakes. Hi, guys. My Welcome. Mic- my microphone's not working. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. And remember at the end of each and every day, what did it? What did it? What did it? So many outtakes. <laughs> Whatever. There's not that many.